Thank you. We are in a time of uh, transition uh, in our study of uh, God's Word. We ended, uh, ended a series of sermons on the Sermon on the Mount last Lord's Day. And uh, so um, people have been asking, well, what are we going to do? And um, uh, I'll give you the, the short answer this morning, give you the longer answer later. Uh, we're going to... Uh, do some individual things uh, today and next Lord's Day. Next Lord's Day we have the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to be focusing upon um, what it means to be reconciled to God through the death of Christ as we prepare for the Lord's Supper next Lord's Day. And then I'm going to take a Sunday off. And uh, following that we'll be having our conference and that'll get us into the middle of October uh, between the conference and Christmas and my plan is I'm praying about now and looking ahead at doing a kind of a short series in October and November on the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what that means to us. And so uh, you can pray praying about that. I'm not 100% certain that's where we're headed, but I think that's what we're going to do. And, uh, and then begin a new book study uh, the first of the year after Christmas. So that's kind of the plan when I when I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago that I wanted you to be praying about what I would be preaching next. If you had any ideas, that you could share them with me. Uh, the one person who approached me was Carrie Whitehead and said, uh, sure would love for you to do something about peacemaking. And uh, that, of course, is on his heart. We we're studying that in, uh, well, on Wednesday nights. And so uh, with that in mind, this morning, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this will be not a new passage at all to any of you. As we read, let us remember that this is God's word. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels who do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then 
I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. But now, faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. That's God's word. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful uh, this morning we have an opportunity to come together at your people around your word. We just read from a very familiar chapter when we've heard over and over again in many situations, in many contexts. But I pray that its familiarity would not breed a sense of insensitivity to it, that we would be able to hear what your word tells us from this very powerful text today, that you would teach us from it, that you would instruct us, that you would guide us, that you help us to live by it. We pray that you would open our eyes to see it, our ears to hear it, our hearts to receive it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, I've just read from one of the most familiar, uh, most well-known, and best-loved chapters in all the Bible. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 ranks that right up there with uh, John 3.16 and 23rd Psalm. Uh, people who might not know much about the Bible at least know something about uh, those three passages. It is known as the love chapter and because the focus is clearly on the importance of us as the people of God having and showing love for each other. You know, we always want to keep our text in its context, and it's very interesting to me that this chapter, this love chapter, is right between two chapters that deal with spiritual gifts and life in the church. Chapter 12, if you look back for just a second, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, chapter, or 1 Corinthians deals with um, the use of spiritual gifts and how the body of Christ is made up of individual parts, and every part has unique gifts and how the, the body is to function together. And if one part doesn't do its part, then the whole, whole body suffers. Chapter 14 talks about how we are to use those gifts as instruments of grace in the body of Christ and how God places each one of us in the body just as he desires, and those gifts are beneficial for the whole. Right here in between those two chapters of what we might call body life, of how we function together as believers within the church, Paul sticks this chapter on, on love. And what we're going to see is that love really is the most important thing. You know, there are lots of aspects to a church, aren't there? There are many gifts and many abilities and many talents. There's lots of knowledge and understanding. But the most important part of the life of the church is the love that God has us has given to us for one another. Because you see, if we don't have love, instead of there being harmony and peace between us, then there will be friction and discord and strife. And anybody who's been in church long enough understands that, don't you? Isn't it odd? I'll say it again. Isn't it odd? Isn't it strange? Isn't it peculiar? That of all the places on earth where you can have some of the most difficult relationships, 
some of the deepest hurt and greatest friction is in the confines of the church. It's in the church. Doesn't that strike you as odd? You see, love is the grease that keeps the church running smoothly. And when we apply what Paul teaches us here in 1 Corinthians 13, it goes a long way in helping the church to be what Christ intends for it to be. But when we get away from that, it can cause all kinds of havoc and all kinds of problems. You see, it doesn't matter what great gifts we have, what great abilities we might possess, what great knowledge we might have, how theologically astute we might be, how deeply spiritual we think we are. If we don't have love for one another, all of that really does not matter. After all, isn't that the way Jesus described the Christian life? You know, when Jesus was asked, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? He gave two. He said, the greatest is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summarized the Christian life in terms of love. Love for God and love for others. Those are the two most important questions we can ask ourselves. Do we really love God? And do we show we love God by the way we love each other? You know, we read from 1 John chapter 4 in our units reading of Scripture a moment ago, and there John ties together our love for God and our love for others. How can you say you love God if you don't love your brother? That's what John is saying. I can't get very far away from 1 John chapter 4 because the text, not the wording, but the, the text, if I can get it off, is imprinted in my wedding band. 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 19. How can we say that we love God if we don't love each other? How can I say that I love God if I don't love my wife? How can I say that I love God if I don't love my children? How can I say that I love God if I don't love you? How can I say that I love God if I don't love those who don't love me? my enemies, those who would do me harm. And so love really is the most important thing in the life and the work of the church. And let's see what Paul has to say about it here. Three things from this text. First, in the first three verses, Paul gives us in really very graphic language the necessity of love or how necessary love is in the life of a Christian and in the life of the church. It's so necessary, folks. You can't live without it. And the church can't function without it. And that's what Paul is saying here in verses 1 through 3. And he names a number of spiritual qualities or virtues that are of no value apart from love. What are they? Well, in verse 1, he identifies the ability to speak well, or what we might call great eloquence. It doesn't matter how uh, great you're able to speak, how eloquent you are, how persuasive you might be. If you don't have love, Paul says, it is of no value. You know, in another place, Paul says we're to speak the truth, but we're always to speak the truth in love. And even though you might be able to declare great and deep uh, spiritual things, even though you might be very eloquent and very persuasive in your abilities uh, to speak, 
If you don't have love, it falls flat. Notice what Paul says, verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul doesn't just say that your words fall flat or they have no effect. He says they are like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I don't know anything more annoying than that. And Paul is saying that if someone speaks, no matter how eloquently, without love, after a while, it's just noise. It's a clanging cymbal. And finally, you just want it to stop. If I have all eloquence, can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, it profits me nothing. In verse 2, he names three more qualities. They're of no value without love. They're prophecy, knowledge, and faith. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and know knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Prophecy was a great spiritual gift because through prophets, God revealed his word to his people. We don't have prophets any longer, but we have preachers and teachers. People who take God's word, who read God's word, who study God's word, who open it, who explain it, who apply it to the people of God. And those of us who have that gift must use it in the context of love. Because if we don't, our words are cold and lifeless. It's just another lesson, just another sermon, just another theological treatise. I'm convinced that the most powerful and persuasive preaching comes in the midst of relationships, in the context of relationships relationships of love. The more you believe that I love you and I care for you, the more my sermons and my teaching will benefit you. I've said many times that when a congregation loves, knows their pastor loves them, they'll put up a lot of, with a lot of sorry sermons. That's how I've survived over the years. But the greatest ministries are built upon relationships. Another is knowledge here. If I have all, know all mysteries and all knowledge. You know, some people are walking encyclopedias, Bible encyclopedias. They have knowledge that some of us just dream of having. I'm not uh, the most intellectual person you're going to meet. And sometimes I just kind of... Uh, Admire those who are able to read something and grasp it. You know, I've got to read the paragraph four times before I ever get it. But some people just know it and they understand it and they grasp it. Paul says, even if you have that great knowledge and it's not tempered by love, it's of no benefit. The Bible says, Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And love encourages us to take what knowledge we have and use it effectively in the lives of others. And then there's faith. Where Paul says, If I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Points us back to Jesus' instructions to his disciples when he said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can speak to this mountain, tell it to move, and it will move. Now he was speaking in a hyperbole there, but he was 
encouraging his disciples to tell them that if they had enough faith, if they believed in him enough, that their ministries would be greatly blessed and they'd see marvelous, even miraculous things take place through their service to him. And Paul is saying here that even if you have that kind of faith, not saving faith, but powerful faith, faith to take God at his word and to believe him, and you don't have love, you are nothing. Then in verse 3, he talks about benevolence and how even if you're able to give away everything that you have, give it to the poor, but it's not given in the context of love, it values you nothing. It profits you nothing. Gary James has been teaching on giving in Sunday school. And sometimes people give to get back. That's what he's talking about this morning. Some people give out of selfish motives to be recognized, to receive something in return. Paul says, even if you give away everything that you have, but it's not with the right motive, it's not with a heart of love, then it's of no value. And then he even takes it a step further and says, look, even if you are willing to become a martyr, to give yourself or what you believe, and yet that is not driven by a heart of love, then still he says, it profits me nothing. And so the point is that it really doesn't matter how gifted we are. It doesn't matter how active we are. What matters is how much love we have for one another. Love is necessary. It is essential. Second, Paul talks about the wonderful qualities of love in verses 4 through 7. It's clear that God doesn't want you to wonder about it. Scratch your head and say, well, what what does love look like? He tells us exactly what love is and there are 15 descriptions of love in verses 4 through 7 we don't have the time to dwell on each one but I want you to get a flavor again for how Paul describes love here verse 4 love is patient love is kind and is not jealous love does not brag and is not arrogant it does not act unbecomingly it does not seek its own it is not provoked does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. A loving person is a patient person. Even when someone wears your patience thin. A loving person is a kind person. Even when they might not deserve your kindness, and might not appreciate your kindness. A loving person is not a jealous person, not jealous of them, what they have, what they're able to do, who they know. A loving person does not brag. A loving person doesn't focus on himself, but he focuses on others. Doesn't build himself up, builds others up. A loving person does not act unbecomingly. That is, he doesn't show out. He doesn't try to draw attention to himself in a negative way. He doesn't tell dirty jokes. He doesn't use bad language. He doesn't repeat juicy gossip. He doesn't act unbecomingly. He's not an embarrassment. A loving person does not seek his own. 
not focused on himself and his own needs, his own desires. He's focused on the needs and the desires of others. A loving person is not provoked. That is, he isn't quick to temper. He's able to let some things go. He doesn't hold a grudge. He does not take into account a wrong suffered. A loving person lets some things roll off his back. He forgives. A loving person does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. That is, he doesn't rejoice when someone falls into sin. He doesn't laugh at someone's errors or failures. But rather rejoices when the truth of God grips someone's heart and someone's life. A loving person, verse 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love is what enables you to keep going when you're not sure you can. Love is what enables you to take someone at their word. Love is what helps you to be optimistic, to look for the best. I love my children, and so I look for the best in them. I'm optimistic about their future. I have hopes for their spiritual prosperity. I love the church. I'm optimistic about the church. I hope for its best. It enables us to endure all things. If you want to know who loves you, when you're going through the pits, when you're going through the hard times of life, you look around and you see who's enduring it with you. Those people love you. And so love is described for us here in very tangible ways. Don't have to wonder about it, do we? And so the question that they asked this morning is, what about it? Because that description of love is to be a description of you. It's to be a description of me. It's to be a description of us. We're not patient and kind. If we're jealous and arrogant, we brag. And you see, love isn't among us. And so we're to carry out what Paul says here. Be what Paul describes here. Loving people, he admonishes us to be. And then third and finally, he talks about the permanence of love, beginning with verse 8. Real love does not end. He says in verse 8, love never fails. And he contrasts the permanence of love with the temporary nature of, of many spiritual blessings and gifts. Verse 12, he says, If there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are gifts of tongues, they'll cease. If there is knowledge, it'll be done away. As great and as wonderful, as powerful, as useful as those spiritual gifts are and may be, Paul says they pale in comparison to love because love never fails. I'm convinced that uh, heaven is going to be the most loving place you've ever been. Because everything that hinders love, everything that prevents love is going to be done away. 
And Jesus' admonition to love God and to love others will be perfectly realized in that day. That's what Paul says here. When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Now we need to see a little bit. We know a little bit. We understand a little bit. We love a little bit. But then all the hindrances to love are going to be removed, and there we will love God and love each other with a perfect kind of love. And then Paul talks about maturity. Verse 11, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Two of the most important parts of the Christian life are are love and maturity. They go together. Because the more mature you are in Christ, the more you love others. Notice I didn't say the more mature you are in Christ, the more you know about Calvin. The more mature you are in Christ, the more you know about the confession of faith. The more you mature you are in Christ, the more you understand the, the Puritans. All that's important. All that's of great significance and great help. What does Paul say earlier? To have all knowledge and understand all mysteries and have knowledge, it profits me nothing. One of the greatest evidences of maturity in the life of an individual Christian and the life of a church is its love. And perhaps those are the two things lacking most in lots of churches. A lack of love and a lack of real maturity. I sat in a meeting Tuesday afternoon with a minister and two elders from the church. The minister had resigned abruptly from his pulpit, has no place to go. When that happens, the one who has resigned and the elders are supposed to come and say why the call ought or ought not to be dissolved. Well, we found real quick why it ought to be dissolved. Because the meeting lasted about an hour and 15 minutes and an hour of it was watching the minister and one of the elders basically air their grievances with each other. A lack of love and a lack of maturity. It didn't just affect a relationship, it affected a church. That's why Paul is talking about the importance of love here. Love matters. The way that you and I love each other matters. You know, I I want people to get all kinds of impressions about North Point when they come. One of the greatest impressions I want people to have about this church is to come here and experience whatever God is doing here and say, my, my, how they love one another. Because that is the greatest testimony to the power of the gospel in our lives. My, how they love one another. Because 
The Bible says love is from God. And he who loves is born of God. And love for the brethren is an evidence of our relationship with God. And the more we love God, the more we love one another. What a great blessing. The love of Christ controls us. And the more we love him, the more we love each other. We want to have real peace. We want to have real understanding of what it is to, to make peace, to know peace, to live in peace. Whether it be in your home, whether it be with your spouse or your children, whether it be with a friend or a co-worker, whether it be with a, with a fellow church member or with your pastor. If you want to know real peace, then we have to know real love. Because it's, it's necessary. We can't do without it. It's described for us clearly. And it's permanent. It's the one thing we take with us from here to heaven. May we be known by our love. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. And I pray that we would show our love for you by the way we love each other. May the love of Christ control us here and may we experience the joy of what it is to live in loving fellowship with each other. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.